Let's bow once again in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do want to praise you, and we thank you for this opportunity to spend time worshiping you, praising you, our Father, our Savior, the Spirit that you've sent to be your living presence with us and in us who believe. We do thank you for this beautiful music that we've been able to share. For those who have sung it and led in the singing of it, for those who have written it by your leadership, we just thank you for blessings like this. And now we pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear your word as you speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll make it living and personal to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's my privilege to fill in for Brother Chris today, and uh, we miss him, and I'm glad that Brother Perry prayed for him and for the group that's up there in Vermont uh, doing missions work and representing our church and our Lord to those people. I have a message that the Lord laid on my heart, and I wanted to share it. I gave it a title. A lesson from a lunch. Now, I don't want you to get started thinking about lunch. Uh, uh, <laughs> save that for later. But, uh, but in this in this message, uh, there is a lesson for us from something rather ordinary. And uh, I'm going to use a passage of scripture from the sixth chapter of John. And uh, I'd like first of all to for us to look together to those first four verses. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And so in these verses, we find this context was in uh, the spring time of the year, uh, late March, early April, somewhere in that time frame. So it was nice time of the year to be outdoors. It says, after these things, what I'm going to share with you took place. What were those things? Well, one of the things was that the disciples had been sent out, the 12 disciples had been sent out two by two on their first independent missions assignment. They were to go into the cities and villages and preach the gospel to people that hadn't heard yet about Jesus and the salvation that we could receive through him. They were to go and heal people by anointing them with oil and praying for them and they were to cast out evil spirits from people. So they had gone out and done that. And I don't know how long they spent doing that but now they had just come back and reported to Jesus what had happened, and they were amazed at what Jesus could do, what the power that he, the authority he gave unto them, what it could accomplish. He said, even the devils were subject unto us, so we can uh, understand their excitement. But they were tired. They had been on the road traveling, living in other people's homes, and, uh, and so they were tired. And uh, they were surrounded, <clears throat> pardon me, surrounded 
by so many people that wanted to see Jesus, wanted him to heal something or take care of something in their lives. It said they didn't even have time to sit down and enjoy a meal. And so that's part of these things that it's referring to, that after these things. The other was that they had just received word about the beheading of John the Baptist. He had been imprisoned because he dared to tell King Herod that it was not right for him to take his brother Philip's wife to himself. And because he had done that, Herod had put him in prison. This wife that he had taken unlawfully by God's standards was so angry at him that when the opportunity came, she asked to have his head delivered to her on a charger. And so King Herod didn't want to do it, but he did. And so they just got the word. Some of John's disciples had come and gotten his body and given it a decent burial. They'd just gotten the word about John the Baptist. And so these were a lot of things that worked on them emotionally and physically. And so Jesus said to them, let's come apart to a deserted place before we come apart uh, emotionally and physically. And uh, let's take some time off and rest. And so they got into a boat and were on their way to a deserted area near the city of Bethsaida, which is at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And before they got out of the boat good, the great physician discovered that the place was already mobbed by his patients. Uh, All there, they'd heard, they'd seen him leave. They saw the direction he was going. They had already gotten there ahead of him. And so this place of rest (laughs) was not really a place of rest after all. Some of the humor, you know, that uh, gets mixed in with the plan of God is is remarkable. But uh, that's the way this worked out. And so the Bible said that Jesus had compassion on that multitude. He uh, spoke to them, taught them many things about the kingdom of God. And uh, he healed those that were in need of healing. And so I don't know what time they arrived there, but the disciples came to him because... uh, They'd been (laughs) waiting for a chance to sit down and rest and probably enjoy a nice meal. And uh, now the day was almost to an end. And they said, enough is enough. (laughs) So they came to Jesus and said, send these people away. They need to be able to go to the local McDonald's and get something to eat. Uh, And so uh, Jesus said, well, they don't have to go there. Y'all give them something to eat. Well, knowing what was in the treasury... uh, Philip, I think it was, said uh, 200 pennyworth wouldn't be enough to even give each person just a little sample of food. And that's all we have. And, uh, and then Andrew comes up with a lad and says, Lord, this lad has a lunch of five loaves and two fishes. In our terminology, it would be five biscuits and two sardines. And I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure that the other disciples cracked up with laughter that Andrew would even suggest such a thing that this could help to feed this multitude of 5,000 men, not, in, not counting women and children. But Jesus said, bring it to me. Give it to me. And so he took that little lunch 
And the Bible says that he thanked God for it, he blessed it, and then he broke it, gave it to the disciples, the broken pieces, and said you, he had all the people sit down in groups of 50s, and he said, you go now and share this with the multitude. And so they did. And it just kept multiplying. As they'd break a piece off, the piece didn't get any smaller. And it was passed down the line. Everybody had all that they could eat of bread and fish. And Jesus said, now gather up the fragments that are left over. And they wound up, you know, the disciples were passing the basket, uh, (laughs) like taking up an offering. And uh, they got 12 baskets full of what was left over. So this was a lesson about what the Lord, our Lord, can do to make something extraordinary out of what is initially just ordinary. And so there's a lesson to us in this. We may think of our lives, and most of us do, that our lives are just ordinary. Uh, We're not big shots. We're not famous. We're not the leaders of the world, things like that. We're just ordinary people. And then we sort of leave it at that. So that's all we can expect of life is just ordinary stuff. But I want you to know that the Lord has a bigger plan for us than that. He designed each one of us uniquely. When he designed us in our mother's womb, And the Bible says in Psalm 139, that's what happened, that he made a blueprint of what he wanted us to be, and then he fashioned us as we were developing. He fashioned us according to that blueprint. And there was a purpose, a distinct, unique purpose for each one of us in this life. And so Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were fashioned before they were born to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. You might say, what about Judas? Did God fashion a rogue like that? Well, I think, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is, this is correct, that he was the one exception. Satan saw him, saw the Lord doing all of this, and he said, why don't you let me do one? And the Lord said, okay, but just one. And that's why Judas, later on, is identified as the son of perdition. He came out of that kind of design. And so, now we use them as examples, but the same thing is true with us. We were designed for something specific that God had planned for us to do. And so, you may have discovered part of it or all of it by now. Maybe you didn't even think about that. So I hope that through this message today that you will... Think about this, and that uh, you will get some indication, maybe a clearer indication of what God designed you for and what he wants you to do. Well, these are the things that uh, tell us at the beginning of what happened out there. And uh, so let me go on with a few more of these verses, verse 5 and following. Because it says there, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the great company, he said unto Philip, which I already said, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. 
And that's when Philip answered, what we got in our treasury wouldn't even do more than give each one of them just a bite or two. And that's when Andrew showed up and brought the lad with his little lunch. <clears throat> so <clears throat> this is the part that I already discussed before we read it, but let's go on <clears throat> to the next portion. So Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men did sit down. In number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And then, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And so they did gather them together. It turned out to be twelve baskets of fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over above those that had been eaten. Well, it goes on to say then that those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Well, it didn't take them long to get the point that we've never seen anything like this. This is so overwhelming what we've seen done here with a small lunch. Now, I want you to know that if we saw things like that, and I don't know if you would, would like to see things like that, but, uh, but I would, and I think most of you would too. You'd like to see things like that happening. Well, is it possible? Well, yes. This had not ever happened before. But this was the time for that. And so you and I have a purpose, and God has a time for this to be revealed and for something very much extraordinary to come out of our lives. And so these men recognize that. This is obviously that prophet that the Old Testament prophets spoke about that was going to come. And they wanted to make Jesus king. They said, this is the Messiah that was promised. Let's make him our king. Let's anoint him and exalt him as our king right now. And so Jesus left that area, had his disciples to leave. He dismissed the multitude, and uh, he went up on the mountain to pray. Well, <clears throat> he decided, I've got to do something about this desire to make me king because these people can't make me king. I'm already king. And he did not want to confuse this. This was announced back in Psalm 2 that God said that my son is going to be the king that would rule over all the nations. And so uh, he'd already, Jesus already was king. He didn't need men to make, make him a king. And he didn't want them to get that impression and get confused the issue. So they got out of there. The Bible says that they went on up into what now is Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon, the Bible calls it. They went up there to just get away from the crowds and, and uh, to just get a suite in the Holiday Inn or something and, uh, and just have some time to relax, which they didn't get <laughs> when they went to this deserted place. But, you know, the word gets out, doesn't it? When, when marvelous, supernatural, miraculous things are done, the word gets out. 
And even though they were up here in a region where nobody had ever gone to preach the gospel, the word had already spread up there. That's what we hope and trust and pray for is that things that we do as a church, that it will do, it will cause the good word to spread around the whole world. And uh, so Jesus was up there with his disciples and as they went about just seeing the place and getting meals and so forth, there was this woman, she was not Jewish, says she was a Greek, uh, a uh, native of Syrophoenicia, and uh, she kept following them and asking Jesus, said, my daughter is possessed with an evil spirit, would you please cast him out of her? And Jesus just sort of ignored her. And she kept following them around whenever they came out and asking Jesus again and again and again. And finally Jesus said, Lady, I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It wouldn't be right to take the children's meat and give it to puppies. Which was, in a sense, a kind (laughs) sort of a... uh, comparison of of who she was compared to the Jewish people. But she had come and this time had knelt and worshipped at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, please help me. And that's when he said, well, it wouldn't be right to take the children's meat and give it to the puppies. And so she said, yes, Lord, you're right. But it would be okay if the puppies got the crumbs that fell from the master's table. And Jesus said, woman with faith like that you're going to get what you desired that evil spirit is gone out of your daughter you and she can be at peace now and when she went home sure enough her daughter was now lying in peace on the bed the evil spirit gone out of her the word had spread even though nobody went up there and told anybody in a particular mission trip but You know, words like this get out. And so isn't that wonderful that people talk about things when they hear about it, things that aren't ordinary, extraordinary things, but they come to ordinary people and through ordinary people. Well, one other thing, they went then from there back into the region of Galilee, but this time Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee over to the area called Decapolis. This was the area that he had come to previously. And as soon as they landed their boat at the shore, here comes this demon-possessed man that had in him legion, legion of evil spirits. And uh, you remember the story how that this man came running and knelt down at Jesus' feet and, and the demons in him spoke and said, Lord, are you come to punish us before the time? And, uh, and Jesus, knowing that the man wanted to be free, but he had no way of getting free, Jesus was going to cast those demons out, and they knew it. So they said, would you please not send us out of the country, but just send us in this herd of swine? And, uh, and Jesus said, okay, I'll let you have your wish. Get out of here and go into the swine. As soon as they got in the swine, the swine started a stampede. You know the story. They were rushing madly in a bunch, stampeding, and it was 
said that one swine asked another, where are we going? And the answer the swine got was Hillary Clinton's answer about Benghazi. What difference does it make? Long as we just stick together and keep moving forward, which they did, and wound up going off the cliff and drowning into the Sea of Galilee. Well, it was back into this region that Jesus and his disciples now came. When he left, they asked him to leave. They didn't want anybody around that would cost them 2,000 swine. So uh, when he comes back, well, before he left, the man that had had the demons cast out wanted to go with him. He said, no, don't you come with us. You go back and tell your family and your friends what a wonderful work God has done in your life. He must have done a good job because when Jesus and his disciples showed back up in that area of the country, multitudes came gathering around him, bringing people that were sick and people that were demon-possessed and uh, people that had problems of various kinds. And again, Jesus had compassion on them. And he spoke to them and he healed those that were in need of healing. Multitudes came. The Bible says that they were there three days listening to what Jesus had to say and taking it in. And Jesus was showing his love toward them in this way. After three days, he said to his disciples, these, these folks, they've been here three days. That's, that's enough. They need to head back for home. But if we don't feed them first, some of them are going to collapse on the way because some came from a long distance. So let's feed them before we send them away. Well, the disciples had already forgotten what Jesus had done not too long before that. And uh, <clears throat> they wondered, how are we going to do that? Jesus said, how many loaves do we have? They probably brought some of their own food with them. They said, well, we got seven. We got seven loaves and a few fish. He said, bring them to me. And so they brought those to him. And uh, <clears throat> and I'm... I'm putting together the, the accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the, the first miraculous lunch and just Matthew and Mark for the second miraculous lunch. I'm putting it all kind of together, but it says he took those loaves and those fishes and that once again he, he thanked God, he blessed that food, and then broke it and had them distribute it to those people. And there again, they all were fed till they were filled up had plenty of nourishment to make the trip back home, and they gathered up fragments again, seven baskets full this time. But here we see love being given by Jesus to people who were hungry for these kind of things, for this kind of help in their lives. Now, this is something that I want to just share as another point, because that's the way that that God wants to do extraordinary things with us ordinary people. He wants to show his love through us unto other people. You know, love is an emotional thing, and uh, you can't see it uh, as, as to its essence, but you can see the indications of it. And there are tangible ways that we can show our love. We can show our love by smiling at people and looking friendly. And uh, we can show it by caring about 
burdens that they have and problems they're going through. Uh, <clears throat> I wonder how many of you have known what it's like to go through stressful times in your life. Uh, I have. How many of you have been through a stressful time in your life? Uh, a big majority of us here have experienced that. And so <clears throat> these are opportunities to express the love of Jesus from us to other people in a tangible way that they can see. We can, we can offer help. We can make food and, and take it to them. We can uh, give money to help them with financial problems. We can give money to support the spread of the gospel around this area and, and around the whole world. And so these are things that the Lord wants to do in us. But uh, <clears throat> there's something we have to have if we're going to do that, if we're going to experience that. I wanted to share with you uh, one last passage in the next chapter of John, chapter 7, beginning with verse 17, excuse me, uh, 37. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, that was the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the main feasts, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the key to our ability to be the extraordinary person God wants us to be. It's this coming to him and drinking and being filled with his Spirit. Jesus talked about it and invited people to, to receive that. And I want to just share with you a last thought about lessons from a lunch. A good way to end a meal is with ice cream, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I know Chris would approve of ending a message like this. Uh, that's one of his favorite things. Uh, <clears throat> often we eat our ice cream in a cone. And we are built in such a way that we are inwardly like an ice cream cone. Little at the bottom, and it gets bigger as you go to the top. If you want to fill up a cone with, let's say, with pebbles and rocks, you've got to start putting the little ones in there first. It'll go down to the bottom of the cone, and then you can get bigger ones in there until at the top, your biggest rock can go in the top. Well, that's the way our lives are when we're in our natural state. The biggest rock in the top is our failure to believe in Jesus. And that's the biggest stone in the cone that troubles us and keeps the Holy Spirit from being able to work in us. Once a person chooses to believe in Jesus and is not ashamed to publicly acknowledge that, once a person does that, that stone is taken out. And the Holy Spirit can fill that part of the cone. But then there's some other things that need to be straightened out too. And so, stone by stone, the Holy Spirit convicts us, okay, this also needs to be changed. And so we can let another stone be taken out. We can ask for it to be taken out and thrown away, and the Holy Spirit has a little more of us. And then there's another stone. So the Holy Spirit will convict us about that one. And we'll agree and repent and say, yep, I've got to get that out of my life. And so the Holy Spirit helps us, takes it out. The more we take all of those things out of our lives, the more we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And 
If you want to get completely filled, you've got to let him go all the way to the bottom and get every, even the little things that you don't even pay much attention to, a, a wrong word spoken at the wrong time or a bad expression that you shouldn't have shown or something. You know, all of these things can be removed and the Holy Spirit will fill that's all of that where those things have been removed. And so this is how this can happen in us. Jesus said, if you'll come to me and drink, then out of you, like the scriptures say, will flow a river of living water. Now, what a wonderful opportunity he's giving to us. It takes a decision on our part. Some Sundays ago on Memorial Day weekend, uh, I asked for a show of people who were willing to surrender all of themselves unto Jesus. And we sung that hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Many, many people stood up. Now, what we need to do next is ask the Lord, okay, I've surrendered my life to you. Now, what is it you want me to do? And so when he shows you, get at it. It may be something, oh, I never thought about doing that. I don't know if I, you know, we may think things like that, but go for it. That's what is the next step is ask, what is it now you want me to do? And then get at it and go do it. Okay, well, those are the things that I think the Lord laid on my heart to share with you. When, when I have the chance to preach like this, I know I'll have to answer to God for what I said up here, whether I said it, what he wanted me to, whether I did it the way he wanted me to do it. I'll have to answer to God for that. When we have an invitation and give you a chance to respond to what God is saying to you, you'll have to answer for that also. It's your responsibility. If God is speaking to you, if you've never openly accepted Jesus as your Savior and he's tugging at your heart to do it, you'll have to answer to him if you choose not to do it. And you'll have all of these things that he promised if you choose to do it. There may be other decisions. You might be looking for a church home and he's saying to you, this is the one for you. You can come and you can join this church today if God's leading you. You may say, well, I haven't been living as the Christian that the Lord wants me to be, but I want to start over and rededicate my life to him. You can do that. So I'm going to have a moment of prayer, and then we're going to sing our hymn of invitation and give you a chance to respond to what God is saying to you personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you give us these wonderful words of life. We know that they're meant because you love us. They're not meant to hurt us, but to give us life and life more abundant. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts now about what you'd have us to do. And as we give an opportunity for people to respond, you know who we are and what we need. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May we be responsive and do it the way you want it done. And as we go out from here, I pray that you'll show us what you want us to do with the life that you've let us have. And all of this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and as we sing this hymn of invitation, it's your chance to respond.